We've been continuing a series. We, we all have been in a series um, for a little over a month now. Thanks, fellas. Uh, we've been in a series for a little over a month now. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. And uh, the passage of spiritual gifts that we've been studying is, is rooted, and you can actually see it here on the screen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, let me read that to you so that we can refresh our memory on what we've been studying during this series. Uh, Paul writes to us this way. He says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. And one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Now, we've been talking about that for several weeks. If, if this is new, if you're just joining us right now, jumping into this series with us, there's a ton of other messages connected to this that you might want to go back and listen to. For example, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and his job, and then we talked about what spiritual gifts are and, and how, those are, how those are distinct and how, what it means to be spirit-filled and how those are the people that get the spiritual gifts are the people that are filled with the Spirit of God. Now, like I said, a bunch of messages on that. Uh, in fact, we've been breaking this list or this description of spiritual gifts down into its parts. There are nine gifts that I just read to you that Paul writes about. They can be broken into three categories. This might look familiar to you if you've been with us during this series. Uh, we were in that first section, the gifts of revelation. We started the gifts of power. We haven't gotten to the gifts of inspiration yet, but we started the gift of faith the spiritual gift of faith a couple of weeks ago, and if you were here, you might remember that I did some teaching on what is faith and, uh, and so that we could understand the gift of faith, and about halfway through that message, I realized that I wasn't going to get to everything that I had written, and so I said, maybe I'll have to come back around and talk about the gift of faith a little bit more. So that's what we're intending to do today, is to continue our conversation about the gift of faith. Now, we took what might have felt to you like a little bit of a break when last Sunday Pastor Mark talked about, he gave a message called Get Your Hopes Up. And it might have felt like we had taken a break from talking about the spiritual gifts because you don't see hope on that list, and except that Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so he actually was doing like a, like a, like a 2.0 or a 1.5, I'm not sure, but it was a good like follow-up message to just dig in a little bit further as we continue to have this conversation about faith. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because over the last couple of weeks, I've had a, a good half a dozen or so conversations that were inspired by that sermon I gave a couple of weeks ago where people are just coming in and they're having questions and they're thinking and, and they're wrestling with what is faith and what is the gift of faith. And, and, and I, I, I had to make a choice in some of those conversations. Am I going to feel like, man, I really did a bad job teaching if so many questions came up? Or am I going to celebrate? There's so many questions. That must mean there's hunger for this idea of what is faith. And you might think like, well, it could be both of those things. It could be that there's hunger and also you did a bad job. Um, I choose not to believe that. Uh, I'm telling myself that right now. But uh, the reason I'm saying all of that to you is because I want you to understand where my head has been for the last couple of weeks. I'm hearing these questions. I knew I didn't get to everything that I wanted to preach a couple of weeks ago, and I am a teacher. That's one of my primary giftings that I, I am a teacher. And so as a teacher, my one of my greatest convictions and passions is 
I want you to understand all the things. And I don't feel like I can sleep at night unless I've done a good job telling you the thing that you're supposed to understand. It's just, and Sharon just said that's true. She has to be married to me. And so when I feel like I didn't do everything I could possibly do to help you understand, I beat myself up. I can't sleep at night. I, it's, it's, it's really annoying. Sharon, I'm sorry. Um, and that's where my head has been the last couple weeks. Now, I, I'm, I'm okay. I, I didn't like slip into some depression or anything, but it bothered me that, man, I, there was so much more to say. So what I did was I wrote you a lecture. Oh my goodness, it's such a good lecture. There were points I was going to have, like I was tempted to get a laser pointer out at one, mo at one moment. Uh, it was a full-blown like lecture. And, and, and I know how to write a full-blown lecture because I'm a college professor as well. And so like I can write a college level lecture for you. And, um, and so that was happening. Um, you're welcome that you're not going to hear that. Um, and let me tell you how we got to where we're going to go. Um, I was sitting in the kitchen island today at my house. I woke up at 4 a.m. and I thought, I got to finish this lecture. <laughs> Whoo, it's Sunday. It has arrived. Uh, I got to finish my notes. And I'm sitting there and, and Sharon comes out. I'm writing and she could tell um, he's not really feeling great about where he's at right now. So she just goes, what's going on? Let's talk about it. And I said, I just feel so stuck. I feel like I'm trying to make sure these people walk out of church on Sunday understanding everything about faith so that they can then understand everything that they need to understand about the gift of faith. And, and, and it was almost like, here's how I explained it to Sharon. I said, it feels like what I'm trying to do is explain the philosophy of how numbers work and why they exist to people who really just need to hear two plus two equals four, trust that that's true. And, and where that aha moment came for me was as I was sitting at the kitchen island, I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me um, almost, and this is how the Holy Spirit speaks to me sometimes. Like, sometimes the Holy Spirit says to me, you dummy, because he loves me. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, okay, so some people know what I'm talking about. S the Holy Spirit just goes, you dummy, didn't I say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? And immediately I know what that means is faith doesn't come by Tim's lecture notes, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So Sharon goes, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I think if I want to talk about what the gift of faith is, I have to show people the gift of faith in the word. <laughs> if you have ever felt like you're not smart, I want you to be encouraged I have a doctorate degree, and that's how the Lord had to talk to me this morning, okay? If you want people to understand the thing that I said in Scripture, show them the Scripture. Okay, so I am going to draw something for you because I am a visual learner, and I want you to see what I'm going to draw for you because it is important that you understand one thing so that then when I show you these two stories, we're going to give you two biblical examples of the gift of faith in scripture. But you have to understand something that is super duper important, that the gift of faith and faith are not the same thing. Uh, you'll understand more about, I was going to say something that wouldn't make sense until I, I'm going to just draw it. All right. Hang on to that for me. Um, 
Okay. Everybody say hope. Hang on to that for me. Uh, hope. Each of these H's is going to represent hope. Okay? Now, there are some little H's down here, and then there's some, like, massive things that we hope for. Now, we defined hope a couple of weeks ago as um, an expectancy, right? It, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is expectation, okay? Now, uh, what is, like, the baseline of hope? of hope in the Christian context? What is like the first thing that you hope for in the context of Christian life? Some, somebody say salvation. Good job. Right. So the very first thing that you can hope for is to be saved. Right? Uh, let me say it to you this way. Uh, faith, in fact, John Stott in, in their book, um, and Bob Hunt in their book on spiritual gifts, they actually say that faith is the entry into kingdom living. It's the first thing that gets you into the kingdom is, is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, so this is my super simple diagram that I hope will help you to understand faith. Imagine each time I draw a black line on the board, it is a level of faith because faith is active and alive and therefore it can grow. Understand? Okay. When you become a Christian, you have now gained hope. Hope, that's an E, uh, for, can you tell this is like super raw? I'm making this up as I go. I'm not really making this up as I go. It's actually in my journal. Um, you have gained hope for salvation. Now, uh, this is something that you now believe Okay? And because faith is active, there's a term called faithfulness, which is the way that you live because of this hope that you now have. Do you understand that? Okay. Now, um, your, your mama could be dying, and you don't have hope for that, but you do have hope that Jesus has saved your soul. Do you understand that there's a difference of things that you can hope for? Okay, and as your faith has grown from zero to one, that's not like a biblical term. Like, Jesus never says, like, Liz, you've got faith 13 today. Good for you. I'm just saying, like, your faith grows like an organic thing can grow. As your faith grows or you have more of it, or another term that you'll hear me use is as your faith becomes more mature, then what that means is to have more faith means I have possessed more hope. There are more things that I now do currently hope for. Does this make sense to you? Okay, so there are things that I can hope for that are not beyond my level of faith. And then there's other things that God would invite me to hope for that I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm not there yet. I'll give you an example. I know plenty of people who have hope for salvation but don't have hope for financial provision. So things like the, the biblical principle and the kingdom principle of tithing or good financial stewardship where God gets our first fruits, uh, not out of law, but out of an understanding of grace over our money and grace over our, our, over our provision, that might be beyond you. And so what you need to do is grow your faith. And how do you grow your faith? Well, faith comes by hearing. So you read the word. What does God actually say about financial provision? The more I read the word and then the more I put that into practice, which is which is faithfulness, the more, I, the more I will grow, and eventually, um, eventually I can have hope for, I'm just going to use a dollar sign because you'll know what that means, right? 
And by the way, hope also has a byproduct called wisdom, that the more that you understand how God actually works, uh, then, then you also will understand that if you have real hope for money, then you know that that's not like some name it and claim it, and if I give God $10, he'll give me $100. <sighs> oh, man, we've messed up so many people. Um, but but the, the more solid that your hope becomes, the more you also just have wisdom. Oh, I understand how that works, right? Now, do I understand how this works? No, I'm not there yet. And here is our very first principle that you have to understand. Very first, I've said like 12 things, but here's a very important principle that you have to understand. If your faith is not here yet, that doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. Now, I'm going to say something that you're going to you're going to be tempted to think I am about to undo what I just said, but you have to trust me. That doesn't mean you're a bad Christian, but it does mean you're an immature Christian. And that isn't necessarily bad. Right? What does Romans 8.1 say? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so here's the deal. Condemnation exists for everyone who doesn't have this the baseline of hope. As soon as you get on the board, condemnation is no longer possibly applied to your life. It cannot be applied to you. And yet, so often we go, oh, I'm not here. Condemn, condemn, condemn. And Jesus goes, no, wipe the condemnation off the board. I didn't put that on you. So we have to be, listen, mature enough we have to be mature enough to know that not being mature enough to have this covered by my faith yet doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means I have to grow. Right? Okay. Raise your hand. Oh, wait. No, I don't want to because if, if you say yes to this, it'll reveal trauma and, and pain, and I don't want to out you like that. But, okay. Think of a hypothetical. If you, if you started to walk... And when you fell, your parents belittled you, berated you, and ridiculed you. I mean, if that actually happened to you, I'm so sorry. Um, but can I just say, that's bad parenting. Like, what good parent would see their kid learning to walk? And then, so like Hannah, who just turned 15 yesterday, I, I, we were remembering all of the times that we've had with her as a kid. And, oh, my gosh, I have a 15-year-old. Um, but I remember when she was learning to walk. And I remember her, her chubby little cheeks smiling because she was taking her first steps. I remember that. Could you imagine if she takes like two steps and then she falls and I go, Hannah, you're such a terrible human being. We do this to ourselves all the time, right? Did it, was Hannah a bad human? No, she just hadn't grown up yet. You understand? This is how God, our loving Father, looks at us in the context of faith. So let's just get condemnation completely off the board because we have to understand that faith can grow. And then that way when Jesus looks at us and says, you of little faith, we don't hear that as a condemnation. We hear that as a correction and a teaching, not a condemnation. You understand? And now we can go... Uh, back to the book of James, chapter 1, where we can count it all joy when we go through trials of many kinds. Because if our faith is revealed to be small, what does uh, the trial ultimately do? Ultimately, if you read what James says, is it grows our faith. Right? So we don't get mad at God. We don't get mad at ourselves. You can get mad at the devil. Please, he's a jerk. 
Uh, but you don't need to beat yourself up if your faith is here and it's not here. Okay? Yes? Okay, now, if you're a Christian, every single one of us has some level of faith. We talked about this a little bit last week, but let me just remind you uh, that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Okay, so you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have faith. You're on the board. We talked last week about the, the or two weeks ago, about the illustration of the car, right? The, 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 what you actually want is to have strong faith. When I was giving the illustration about the, the beater car or the, the tuned-in, dialed-in race car, and God wants to put the nitrous on the car, and if he puts it on the, the old-school beater car, the nitrous would destroy the car because the car is not strong enough to sustain the boost. And so God will put the nitrous on the strong car. And we said, that's like your faith. So the question of two weeks ago as we ended the sermon was, how strong is your faith? How is your faith doing? Now, the, the challenge of that, and this is something that I've been racking my brain about for the last couple of weeks, is I didn't want you to walk out of there thinking, oh, no. God will never give me the gift of faith because I have weak faith. I'm such a terrible person. Do you, hopefully this helps you to understand that a little bit more, right? That it's okay if you aren't here. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not even sure if I'm here. I've got some big H's in my life that I'm still growing towards, okay? And that's all right. Okay, I think you get that. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, that's interesting because what that actually tells us is everybody gets on the board at Hope for Salvation, and yet some people somehow are, like come into the kingdom with like this much faith, right? And so let's just say that whether it's like I just came into the kingdom with this much faith or I've been a Christian for a good number of years, and this is where I'm at. Now, we are not all at the same level of faith. We don't all have the same conviction and confidence and trust and rest in the work and the word of the Lord. But let's just say hypothetically that in this room today, for sake of illustration, that this is where we are at. This is where you are at in your level of faith, right? So there's more things that you now are convicted and confident in, and not only just convicted and confident in, but because faith is dead without works, James says that, uh, you're actually living according to this uh, level of faith. Uh, let me say this to you another way. In fact, this might be helpful for you. A, a, a definition of faith that I, I'll, I'll throw up on the screen for you is this. Faith is the degree to which your life and decisions are framed by your being convinced of God, of his character, and of the impact that his promises can and do have on your life. So it's a degree. It's measurable. It's growing, right? And, and it's, it's the degree to which my life and my decisions are framed. What do I do because of my faith? If, if my life and decisions are framed hardly at all, then I know my faith is small. The more that my life is framed and my decisions are framed based on God, God's character, God's word, God's promises, what did he say to me, what has he been saying to my family, right? The more, my, I, the, the more what I hear from God, the more the word of God shapes and changes my life, then the more I can point to, oh, that's, what, that's my faith, and my faith has grown, right? So that is faith. Um, 
But the gift of faith, I, I said earlier, it's not the same, but now you can see, and, and hopefully you'll be able to understand this, is that the gift of faith is rooted in your faith, or it builds on your faith. So when I say it's different, what I mean from that is it's a distinct gifting of faith on top of the faith that you currently have. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Here's a definition of the gift of faith. The gift of faith is a supernatural impartation of conviction by the Holy Spirit to believe for something specific that is beyond your current level of maturity or to inspire others to believe beyond their maturity. We'll leave that up on the board for a second. I want to I draw this out. You need another color. There's really no reason in my sermon why I'm throwing the lids at you. It's just fun. Um, okay. Spiritual gifts are given to whom? Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled, right? Uh, does everybody get the same gifts? No, because they're such good students. You can tell I'm in teacher mode, right? Um, so not everybody gets every gift. Uh, if, if you get one gift and your neighbor gets another gift, are you allowed to be jealous of your neighbor's gift? No. In fact, you should be thankful for your neighbor's gift because all the gifts are for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and serving the world, right? So when Latanya expresses a gift that I don't have, praise God! I'm so glad for Latanya being gifted and that she's a part of my community because together we are gifted, right? Now what happens if there is a hope that God wants me to engage that is beyond my level of maturity? There are times, and I wanna be clear, not every single time and not every single person, not every single circumstance, but when the gift of faith is given, it is like the nitrous boost to your already existing level of maturity to cover a hope. Now, do I need to wake up this morning and go, Jesus, am I saved today? No. I mean, I'm so, I have a level of faith for that. Do I need to wake up this morning and go, Jesus, what do you need me to do with the 10% that came in first? No, no, no. I've, I've got hope for that, right? What do I need to do about uh, these other three areas? Like, whatever they are, you know. Your, there's, there's certain areas that you don't need to wrestle with anymore. Theologically, you don't need to wake up and ask questions about They've become baked into your faithfulness, right? But this one here, whatever it is, whatever that circumstance is, Let's, let's just come up with a hypothetical scenario. Uh, laying hands on your sick auntie for her to be healed. Okay? And you do not have experiences with God that makes that something that's within your everyday, natural, comes easy to me kind of faith. So to lay hands on the sick to pray for my auntie to be healed feels outside of myself. It feels, I don't know if I can really believe that. I mean, I know, I see it in the Word, but it feels like, 
like spiritual work to, to gear myself up, and then I'm so concerned that I'm going to have doubts, and what if I'm one of those people that Jesus says, you got to get out of the room, son, because you don't have enough faith, and, and then I just mess up the whole thing? Do you, do, like, do you have things like that in your spiritual walk that you're like, I'm not sure that I fully get it yet? That's what we're talking about. So in this illustration, this is for a spirit-filled person who's a follower of Jesus who has got a, a defined but growing, praise God, defined but growing level of maturity in their faith, they need that nitrous boost, right? So our understanding of faith is important because we want to have growing faith so that then God can, when he wills, for whom he wills, and for whatever purpose he wills, when he gives that gift of faith, all of a sudden, you no longer have doubts. This is the gift of faith. So like yesterday, you knew your auntie was sick, and you just weren't sure what Jesus was going to do. But today, you walk into the room, and you feel a surge of expectancy. The doubt that you had about sickness just leaves your brain. And for, the, for, for however long this moment of this gift of faith lasts, and, and, and whether this becomes like a new normal for you, or if this is just a, a bump for a thing for a specific moment, um, that's up to the Holy Spirit to decide that. And I've heard all of the teachings that say, oh, when the Holy Spirit gives you a gift of faith, that's your new level of faith. And then I've heard the teachings that say when the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of faith, it's for a moment and then it's gone. I've heard all the teachings and you know what? I agree. Yeah. Uh-huh. Guess who gets to decide? The Holy Spirit. Right? Because that's what Paul tells us. He gives these gifts as he sees fit. So if somebody has a surge in their faith and they're just living at that level for the rest of their life, and then you have a surge of faith and you have to kind of work to get back up to there, God knows why that is. Just trust him. Just trust him. He gets to decide that. He knows what's best for you. And guess what? If you can learn how to be okay with trusting him, guess what that'll do? Just level up your faith. Oh, now I can just trust God just that little bit more. Let's get back to the, the gift of faith. So you walk into your auntie's room, and all of a sudden, complete confidence. Absolutely no doubt, no fear, and you know what you must do. What you must do is obey the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord says they would lay hands on the sick, and they will be healed. So what do you do, auntie? I just feel a sense in, the, in, the, in my spirit right now that the Lord says, you will be healed. And all of a sudden, and, and by the way, you're allowed to have that surreal thing happen where you're like, I don't normally talk like this. That's allowed to happen. And so you go, Auntie, I know this is unusual for me. Normally I've got all kinds of doubts, but today I saw you and the Lord said, lay hands on your auntie and pray for her to be healed. So what do you do? You tell her. And then you say, so can I lay hands and pray for you to be healed in the name of Jesus? And hopefully auntie says yes. If she says no, you say, okay, well, I'm going to go outside the room then, and I'm going to pray for you over here. Because I respect you enough to not do what you asked me not to do, but I respect God too much to not do what he told me to do, right? And, and by the way, something about the gift of faith is the Lord just has a way of just moving obstacles. I, don't ask me to explain that. I don't understand how it works. It just, God is amazing. And so all of a sudden, your auntie is like way more susceptible to prayer than she normally is. Or she's like, oh, finally, somebody's coming to pray for me. 
So you lay hands on your auntie and you pray, Jesus, heal my auntie. Or you say, be healed in the name of Jesus. I I said two different prayers on purpose because there's no script. You just pray the truth in the name of Jesus. Okay? And then you say this, amen. By the way, you can pray like 3,000 more words. I don't recommend it, but there's no script, and you can pray a little bit longer than that. But man, something about gift of faith prayers, they tend to be short. You know why? Because when you have the gift of faith, you're not trying to convince anybody. Because you're already convinced, right? So you pray, you lay hands, you pray, amen. Amen is a word that means let it be. And here's, here's what you have to know about let it be. When you say let it be, that literally means God, you let that be. And then, and then you say to yourself, I'm going to let that be. Did, did you catch that? Let it be. God, let your will be done. And then you say to yourself, I'll let it be. Because you've been obedient. Unless the Lord says you keep on praying, you keep on laying hands, you, maybe you say, Auntie, do you feel any different? If she says, wow, yeah, I feel completely different. I'm totally healed. She gets out of bed, she starts dancing. I mean, throw a praise party. Right? Post it on Instagram. My auntie was just healed. Share the gospel. She was healed in the name of Jesus. What a great opportunity, right? And if she says, no, I don't feel any different, then you ask the Holy Spirit what you're supposed to do in that moment. I I know some people who say, I pray one time. That's what the Lord has told me to do. I pray one time unless the Lord specifically tells me to pray again. And they do that, and they see healings, and then they see God's will done, and it's amazing. And, and then I know some other people, when I have the gift of faith, I, I am instructed by the Lord to keep on praying and going after it until I see the miracle. And, and I've prayed and laid hands on some people, and they've been healed like that. And I've prayed and laid hands on some people, and they've been healed after like the seventh time. It's just, you have to just be, you have to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. But you know how you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit? The same way you learned how to listen to your sports coach when you're on a team. You show up to practice. (laughs) You play the game. And when the coach says you're doing something wrong, you change what you're doing wrong, and you do what, like, just no condemnation. Right? And get out of your head about, well, what if I say something heretical? The Holy Spirit will tell you. He's a really good teacher. Right? Trust the Lord. Have fun. You're human. You're going to mess up. God already knows that. Like when the, when the Holy Spirit gave you the gift of faith in that moment or when he gave you your spiritual gifts, he knows like, oh, man, they're going to make a mess with these. <laughs> he totally knows that. You're so utterly human. It's okay. Okay, are you beginning to see it a little bit? So the gift of faith, it's like a surge, a shot of adrenaline, the nitrous boost to your already existing level of maturity in faith. And oftentimes, my belief is, oftentimes your level of faith will then level back out to where it was. Except that all of a sudden you do have that like little boost. You go, oh, that's possible? Okay, I'll just grow a little bit. And then you grow that much more in these areas of Living in the kingdom. Now, having said all of that, now I can give you, first of all, now I'm going to sleep tonight. Secondly, but now I can give you these two biblical examples of what, uh, of, of what faith, the gift of faith looks like. You understand faith and you understand the gift of faith. Um, yep, yeah, that's enough. 
And then now I can give you two biblical examples. Biblical example number one is found in Acts chapter two. These are both in the book of Acts. First one is in Acts chapter two. Um, on, the, on the first New Testament Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit was given to the believers as a gift. They, the, they began to speak in other tongues. We talk about this every Pentecost Sunday. We just did a sermon about this not too long ago. This large crowd of people gathers, and uh, they're hearing everybody speaking in tongues, but they're speaking in their own native language, and they're kind of freaking out about it, and they're going, what's going on? And some wise guy in the crowd goes, oh, they're definitely drunk, right? And so then that, that kind of becomes the meme in the crowd, and everyone's like, oh, these crazy people are drunk, and they're and they're, so they're mocking it because they don't understand. Which, by the way, when the world mocks what God is doing in the world just because they don't understand it, that doesn't nullify what God is doing. Like, the world's opinion is so nothing compared to what God is doing. In a, amen? Amen? Okay. Sorry. Very passionate about that point. Um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Here, Watch, it's in the very first words the gift of faith is expressed. Peter stood up. I'll, I'll read the rest of the story so it makes sense. Peter stood up with the, with the 11. He raised his voice and he proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. Now, I'm going to pause there for a second and just say to you that what happens for the next like 30 verses is Peter preaches a sermon. If you look at it, he's got three points. Um, he basically, uh, he, he preaches the gospel to them. But here's what I, I want you to understand is that the gift of faith is seen in this moment for Peter that drove him to stand up to do something that he had never done before. And, and, and this is certainly a gift of faith that Peter does something he had never done before, but this is where we actually see an expression of the gift of faith that drove others to faith. Remember how I defined the gift of faith for you earlier and I said one of the manifestations or results or fruits of the gift of faith is that the people around you will all of a sudden have more faith or you drive them to action? So Peter goes on to preach the gospel to the crowd, and he concludes in verse 36 by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Period. Drop the mic. End of sermon. Q&A. Because all of these people have this incredible question. And in verse 37, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Every preacher wants that to happen at the end of their sermon. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? There's the Q&A. Here's how Peter replied. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call, with many other words. Like, okay, so he goes in now into sermon number two. This is why you don't want me to do a Q&A at the end of my message. He, with many other words, he strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation and watch the fruit. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Okay. Acts begins with disciples closed behind, behind closed doors praying. Right? Right? I want you to understand, they did not yet have faith. Did this mean they were bad? Did it mean they were wrong? Did it mean there was something 
terrible about their hearts. No, it just means they didn't have a level of faith yet that drove them out into the streets to preach the gospel. And you might say, but Jesus told them to stay and wait and not do anything until they had received the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what he told them. What he told them was don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say lock yourselves in a room and don't go outside and just order Grubhub to the door until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't quarantine until you hear the Holy Spirit. They could have been out at Starbucks every day preaching the gospel of Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't leave the city. He didn't say, don't leave the house. And interesting nuance, where were the disciples? Prayer meeting. Right? What were they doing? They were doing what I've been doing for the last two weeks, racking their brains, asking Jesus, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? And this is why we would call it a gift of faith that Peter had. Because all of a sudden he did something that he had not had faith to do up until that point. He went from being a prayer to a preacher under the gift of faith in a moment. Now here's what we know about Peter. Is that that so elevated his level of faith that for him he maintained that level. Right? I mean, Peter had some problematic things come out of his mouth before this moment in Acts chapter 2. And for the rest of the time that we see him, he's preacher mode. He's laying hands on the sick. In fact, there's another story in just a few chapters in the book of Acts where he sees a, a crippled man outside of the temple begging for alms. He looks at him and he tells him, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And guess what? He gets healed. Some people would argue that's actually an expression of the gift of faith as well because he doesn't say, so how are your legs feeling? What it actually says is he grabs him and he lifts him up off the ground. You have to have the gift of faith to do that to a guy, right? So Acts begins with the disciples in a room praying, but then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the gift of faith caused Peter's faith to surge from prayer to preacher, and the result was that the gift of faith then produced saving faith in 3,000 people in one day. And I propose to you that that should not be an anomaly. I recognize that that's a side point that feels unrelated to my sermon about the gift of faith, but what if that happened to you and the hundred people at your job got saved? Oh, and for every place where when I said those words, there's a part in my brain that goes, yeah, right, God, grow our faith. Example number two, Paul. In the book of Acts, chapter 14, starting in verse 8, Paul's on a missionary journey, and he's in a town called Lystra. And in Lystra, it says, A man was sitting who was without strength in his feet. He had never walked, and he had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. What was Paul speaking about? Just for context, he's going around preaching the gospel. So this man hears what? The word of God, which produces faith. Okay? So he listened as Paul spoke. I love this. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Now, I know what that feels like because there are moments when um, I have prophetic friends in my life. And have you ever just had someone just stare at you? Okay, somebody told me once I was at a conference and they said, stop staring at me. And I said, I'm sorry, I just, the Lord's telling me something about you. I, I need to say this thing. And I had a prophetic word for them in that moment. And then they received the word, and then we prayed, and there was awesome results, right? And I've had people tell me, like, sometimes when you just, like, just so you know, if we're ever, like, hanging out in a circle and, like, God is doing something, and you see me go like this, 
I'm not confused by you. In fact, I told somebody who was on our leading worship one time, uh, they said, were you, like, not happy with what I was doing? I was like, no, just was, the Lord is ministering to my heart something about you right now. Can I, can I tell you? And they were like, I thought you were mad at me. So I need to learn to fix my face, apparently. But um, maybe that was the point of that entire story. But I just want you to know that that's what was happening for Paul in that moment, right? He sees this guy, and he's been listening to him, and he's got this whole crowd of people, all the people who walked to hear the sermon, and this dude who was brought there and has never walked a day in his life, all of a sudden, that's the guy that God highlights to Paul, and he's just looking at him. And as Paul's looking at him, he can tell that he's listening, and more than that, he gets, we covered this several weeks ago, a word of knowledge, Oh, you have faith to be healed. Now, I don't know what they talked about. The Bible doesn't record that in this moment. Luke doesn't write the conversation that they had uh, leading up to anything other than as he looks at him. We don't actually know uh, what happened, although I think that what probably happened was that Paul doesn't even approach the man. But that Paul looked at the man and saw there's a gift of faith there for healing. Because it says in verse 10, Paul said in a loud voice. That tells me, I mean, like, if he's, like, super close to him, how rude would this be? Stand up! <laughs> so rude. I think he's far away. I'm just saying, like, it's, the Bible is very practical. So Paul says in a loud voice, hey, stand up to your feet. In a loud voice. Why? Because there's a lot of other people around. There's, like, commotion going around. Paul didn't have a microphone. Stand up to your feet. And look at the fruit. And he jumped up. <laughs> Angie said, because Paul scared him. <laughs> oh, they work. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, what happens in this moment is Paul perceives word of knowledge. Perception that he shouldn't have otherwise had. Who told him? The Holy Spirit. Right? Oh, you've got faith for a very specific thing. Oh, you have the gift of faith right now. And why do we know that the man had the gift of faith? Because it was beyond his level of maturity. How do we know it was beyond his level of maturity? Because he's just now hearing the gospel. This man's not even saved yet. Now, I confess to you, that actually messes with my theology. Because who gets the gift of faith? Christians who are spirit-filled. And apparently... Crippled dudes <laughs> listening to the gospel for the first time. You remember that part when I said there's some things about this that we just don't understand? But it's definitely the gift of faith. And what was the fruit? Okay, what is a person who doesn't have the gift of faith? When, when Paul yells at you in a crowd and you're sitting here and you've never walked a day in your life, do you know how to walk? Nope, don't know how. Why would you? You've never done it. But Paul looks at you in a crowd and says, stand up to your feet. And you have a gift of faith that is so, like you're so convinced that God is healing you right now that your, your, your healing is so complete in this moment that any even fear of You never walked a day in your life, and you're not a child. The Bible calls this person a man. I don't know how old he's. Let's just say he's my age. <sighs> I'm in my late 30s. Um, 
and I've never walked a day in my life. And suddenly, it isn't just that Paul told him to do something he had never done. It was that he knew he could. That's the gift of faith. It wasn't just the miracle that he was healed. It was the miracle that his mind was also healed. And I propose to you that that healing came from the gift of faith. Because a man who's never walked a day in his life and gets yelled at by a dude in a crowd to stand up to your feet doesn't jump. He goes, "Uh, a hand? Could you help? Um, Hold on while I Google, how do you walk? And that's exactly the opposite of what he did. It it proves the miracle because he didn't ask for help because he didn't need help. But it proves the gift of faith because he was so confident that he had been healed. That Paul said a thing. He didn't even say in Jesus' name for the record, which also messes with my theology. And he jumped up. He jumps up and began to walk around. Now, the rest of that story is really, really fun. You should read it. There's more miracles that happen. There's some chaos that happens in the city. But I wanted to highlight this for you so you could see the gift of faith. Again, there's multiple gifts expressed here, right? Paul's got a word of knowledge. The crippled man has the gift of faith. You presume, by the way, that he also gets saved. So he's on the whiteboard, right? Right? When the gift of faith was beyond his level of maturity, he hadn't gone to Bible college. No one had led him through the how to lay hands on the sick or how to receive healing class yet. He had never done a day of discipleship training. He had never gone to the on-ramp class for his local church. He's just sitting there every day for his life, and a man says, you're healed. And he goes, yep, jumping up right now. That's the gift of faith. Multiple gifts, right? So the Holy Spirit gives this man the gift of faith to believe for healing. He jumps to his feet. I would propose to you this. The gift of faith is supernatural conviction, belief, or confidence that results in taking action or inspiring others to action. We see it when Peter preaches the first sermon of the New Testament church and 3,000 people are saved. And we see it again when Paul tells a man who's never walked a day in his life to stand up to his feet, and the response was, he jumps up and begins to walk around. So let's do a Q&A so I can get to my second sermon. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I do actually want to seriously entertain that there are probably a ton of questions in our church about faith and the gift of faith. And so I want to say to you, uh, one of the things that we want to move into in, a church, in our church, we've been doing this a lot on Wednesday nights, but I, I just want to say to you this, that if at any point you have questions about this sort of thing, like I said some stuff today that if you don't have questions, then, I mean, I don't want to be rude, but like, are you trying? Like, this is hard. Um, we could write books and books and books on faith and still, like, this is, this is the bare minimum illustration of what faith and the gift of faith is. So, like, I know that saying this pr- creates questions for you. So I want to invite you to ask them. The easiest way for you to do that is to send an email to info. So you'll send us your info. It's your question. You'll get info back. We'll answer your question. Um, info at avlife.church. Just send an, send an email. Send a question. Come on Wednesday nights. Ask a question. Grab one of us, one of the leaders of the church, or start a small group of people who wrestle with these questions. But let's begin to ask these questions, right? I mean, I could point out some people in the room that would be really safe people to ask these questions to, like Pastor Mark in the back. We've got Marcus and Liz up here in the front who are brilliant and been walking with the Lord for a long time, and they know a ton of stuff about the Word and especially about things of miraculous nature. We've got Greg and Tammy Howell right here who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and also 
profoundly wise people who could answer your questions. I'm just you know, pinballing a couple of people that you could ask questions to. Or send us that email. I really, really mean that. We're not going to do a Q&A right now. Because <laughs> I really would launch into another sermon, and you don't want me to do that. Um, but I do want to give you a couple of thoughts. And I want to invite you to ask your questions about faith. Let me give you a couple of final thoughts, and then we're going to pray. Final thought number one. The gift of faith will never give you the power to control God. Okay, so your, your faith will never mature to the point where you have hope over God's will. Okay? <laughs> Ever. We do not have the power to control God. God is always sovereign, which means he's always in control and, and, and he always has his will. So when you go, I had the gift of faith for God to give me a billion dollars today. No, sweetheart, you didn't. You didn't. And, and we, there's actually sermons that we could preach about why that's not the case, but we won't do that today. Ask your questions. Um, final thought number two. Connected to, maybe these build on each other. Faith is not a guarantee of outcome. Because we don't put our faith in outcomes. We put our faith in God right? So faith in God is about conviction of God's goodness. It is not certainty that God will obey your will. I could tell you deeply painful stories and, and profoundly meaningful stories from my own life about times where I, I asked God to do a thing for me, and he said no. And my faith actually grew by learning that his way was better and learning to trust Ask your questions about that. I'm sure that you have them. Third, third, and uh, not and final, but third final thought is that the gift of faith is a spiritual gift. We've covered this already, but I just want to refresh your memory. This is not something that you can cultivate. Faith is something that you can cultivate. The gift of faith is something that God gives. And it may result in your faith growing, uh, but it is given as needed to whomever God decides needs it. And then a fourth, I might even call this a bonus uh, final thought, is that the gift of faith is a gift for everyone, even if you're not the one experiencing it. Right? We talked about how Latanya and I might have different gifts, and because we're a part of the same community, her gifts benefit me, my gifts benefit her, because our gifts are for the benefit of the church. Right? And so what I don't want you to do uh, is walk out of a sermon like this and go, that sounds like a fun gift. And then if you don't have it, now you begin to diminish yourself. Why? Remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't get to do that. In fact, you, gave, you surrendered the right to identify yourself with condemnation when you became a Christian. Okay? So if, if somebody else in our church has the gift of faith and you don't have it, you actually do because they're in the church. Does this make sense? Okay. So we want to make sure that we understand how we can celebrate that. Um, yeah. I think ultimately this is an important thing for us to talk about and understand. And as we move to pray right now, this is an important thing for us to put our focus on. Because things like the gift of faith become the catalyst that help us to continue to believe for the miraculous. And we are not invited in a church to just suffer until Jesus comes back. We are invited to endure suffering and put our faith in Christ who's overcome the world. And the result of that oftentimes is the miraculous. 
which is why that is why we need to continue to ask God to pour out the gift of faith on this church. And as we have been preaching this series, God has been pouring his gifts out on this church. We continue to tell stories about miracles. I told you one about Sal today. We continue to hear God tell us stories and, and produce stories in our community of incredible things. And my prayer is that this series, this sermon, would certainly result in people being given the gift of faith and understanding what is happening. But more than that, my prayer is that this message would just raise our faith a little bit. That we would believe in God more. And so here's where I want to invite us to end our time together today is to come back to prayer. We started in prayer. We're going to end in prayer. Um, I want to invite you to go to Jesus right where you're sitting right now and, and wrestle with a couple of questions. The first one, the first question for you today is, where does your faith need to grow? That's a pretty broad question, so I'll just say there, it might be that you're listening to this and you're realizing I'm not on the board. My faith needs to grow from nothing to belief for salvation. And if that's you, we, we want to make ourselves available for you to talk and pray with you about that, celebrate your decision to put your faith in Jesus. But ask yourself right now, where does my faith need to grow? Do I struggle to believe God for finances? Do I struggle to believe God for relationships? Do I struggle to believe God for peace in the political climate that we're in? Do I struggle to believe? Where, where does your faith need to grow? And if you, can, if you can name that place before the Lord, I would just invite you now to say, God, grow my faith. While you would also say to him, God, show me in your word what you say about this need to grow my faith. I would also just invite you to go to Jesus right now in this moment and ask, answer this question to Jesus. What are you asking him to do in your life? Is there a place where you would say, God, I, I want to have faith that you would do this in my life. I'm asking you, petitioning you to do something. If you have a request before the Lord, would you even just again now just say, God, would you do this for me in my life? And then finally, we're going to end this gathering the way we've been ending most of our gatherings uh, today, or at least similarly to. We're going to pray a prayer corporately together. And then I'm going to invite you to do one thing a little bit differently. The last several weeks, I've been having some friends come up and line up here on the front. We're not going to do that today, only because um, I, I want you to turn with each other if there's any need for prayer today. Um, before you leave this place, if there's anything else that you need prayer about today, find a friend talk and pray. Go out to lunch. Take them out to a meal and say, can you talk with me through this? Can we search the scriptures together? Can you pray with me? Spend time in community wrestling with these things that you might be saying, God, here is what I need. And so finally, here's how we have been and here's how we will end this gathering is um, let's stand to our feet and we're going to pray this prayer together that's on the screen now. We're going to pray this out loud together. This is our closing prayer for this gathering. When I say, when we together say amen, um, then we're going to be dismissed, but you're dismissed to, uh, to each other, to dismissed to community, to, to fellowship with one another and help each other stir one another up to love and good works. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
We thank you for your love and for the gifts you pour out on your church. As we pursue the fullness of your presence and power, use us to be a gift to each other and also to those outside of your church. Be honored in and through our lives. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.